Hello, and welcome to Pod Catalyst, IBC's podcast dedicated to emerging trends and thought leadership within the communications profession. I'm Peter Fan, Executive Director of the International Association of Business Communicators, IABC. And every few weeks, I interview a thought leader where they can share their perspective on the profession and provide insight on a diverse set of issues facing professionals today. For this Pod Catalyst interview, I spoke with Smitha Thoreau, a noted expert and thought leader on unconscious bias and how it influences all of us. She often speaks on, writes about, and consults with a variety of organizations about emotional resilience, change management, leading in times of uncertainty, and other similar topics all embedded by our unconscious bias. Smitha is the co-founder of Culturalytics, a company that uses artificial intelligence to understand culture in an organization and the founder of Thoreau Associates, a training, coaching, and organizational development company. I've known Smita for a few years and it was great. It was a real pleasure speaking with her. She has an upcoming keynote, Being Dynamic in a Pandemic, IABC's Leadership Institute. That's just in a week or so. And if you're interested in more of Smita's work, you should check out her podcast. It's fantastic. Uh, Stories of Unconscious Bias. All right. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me today, Smita. And we know one another. We worked for a couple of years together. And I know you're new to IABC and probably to a lot of the folks that are listening, you may not be familiar with your background and who you are and what you do. So if you want to just take a couple of minutes, just let us know what you do for your professional work. And, you know, also the reason why we're doing this podcast is because uh, Spenta will be the keynote speaker at the Leadership Institute. So for all of our volunteer leaders to come together, and I believe Smita is doing the wrap-up keynote. So with that, I'll hand it to Smita, tell us a little about yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Peter. But you're right. You and I have chatted ages and you quite probably know far more about me than I even realized because we've met so many times. (laughs) But just to briefly summarize. So I was born and brought up in India. I now live in London. And I suppose if you talk about identity, my keynote is very much about our emotional resilience, about our unconscious biases, about our us and how we are influenced by our narrative. And I am so aware that the fact that I'm even in this career of what you and I might call cultural behavioral change, Mm -hmm. uh, it is so much because of who I am as a person and the fact that I was born and brought up in India, very confident in my identity of who I am as as a person. This is me, the way I was brought up by my parents in a liberal, inclusive, accepting, non judgmental environment. And that, whether it's then or now in India, is not hugely common so but the thing is when we're growing up we just take our upbringing for granted and then it's when you get older and you start reflecting or you meet other people who have maybe you know grew up in the same city at the same time as you you realize hang on a minute I'm really lucky and so you start thinking a little bit about that and then I remember when coming to London and meeting people who looked like me who would talk to me and ask me questions that didn't make any sense that often nowadays I find sadly people get offended by, which are things like, where are you from kind of question. But it's not one of aggression or one of racism. That's not how I see it at all. It's so much more about them questioning their own sense of identity and where they're from. And so tell me a little bit more about you. Anyway, so what have I been doing since my career started? I've always been in what I would call learning and development or cultural behavioral change. Because to me, the whole idea of employees and how we can get the person, whether you're a leader or a manager, or or it doesn't matter where on the hierarchical ladder you are, but if you can start self-reflecting and start thinking about your own narrative, 
it really starts helping you grow and learn as a human being, firstly, yep. following which you would be a better employee, a better team manager, you know, all of that stuff. So that's kind of, you know, you said, tell me a bit about yourself. Well, I am in London. I have a husband. I have three sons. I've got two companies. I'm very excited to announce that I co-founded an organization two years ago called Culturalytics, which at the moment is Bangalore and London-based. Yep, I, I remember and that. I remember we talked about uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. There you go, yeah. yeah. And that's very exciting because the company is an artificial intelligence. It's, it's a, it's a, we've created an artificial intelligence platform that actually looks at the culture of an organization. And so here I am for the last 30 years or so, looking at employees and talking about culture and behavior, but just as a human being, you and me together talking. But now we can actually, because of modern science, we can actually use AI to even get further inroads and understanding into how a company ethics and behavior and values and what that works like and what that looks like. So very, very excited because all that's happening is the excitement of understanding differences in behavior is just being reinforced. And then during podcast, during, and I'm coming ahead of myself, during lockdown, I started a podcast, which you also know about. Yes. But, but, the, but the listeners won't, and I'm very, very proud of it because I have been interviewing people around the world. I'm just coming up to the end of season three. Season four will start in a month's time. So we've got, you've got about 33 interviews that you can catch up on if any of you are interested, uh, where I've interviewed people around the world, asking them to share their stories of unconscious bias. And the one main learning that I've taken away is that we're all, it's just about humanity. And we're just human beings, wherever we are, whatever our life experiences. And it's so much, I don't know, it binds us together, these stories. That's how I hear it anyway. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I was flowing, but yeah, go ahead, Peter. No, no I, 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 yeah, I've been really impressed because they, they're very story-based and I've seen them popping up on my feed and, uh, and LinkedIn. So, and how did that, was that because of the pandemic that you started doing? These Not at all. It, no, entirely, entirely serendipity. I had actually interviewed... I planned a podcast. I'd interviewed, I think, two people in 2019. But I was thinking, uh, I'm not sure. You know how we're not quite, you were just still kind of playing around with it in our, in our heads. Then I went to Delhi ostensibly for three weeks. It's not Delhi, India. It's starting in Delhi. Ostensibly for three weeks work. Uh, but it was early March. You can guess what happened. I was locked down and I was in India for almost five months. During that period of time, I was locked down with my mother and brother in Delhi never left Delhi, never left the home. And I was actually reading the paper, which sounds, stopped me because maybe I'm taking too long to answer your question. I was reading the paper and sort of the, um, uh, what's the gossip pages of the paper. There was a very, very well-known Bollywood film actress who was talking about how she used to think that cooking was really her and she didn't, you know, felt that she was lesser than because she was a feminist and she was a very well-known film actor and so on. And it's only during lockdown that she appreciated that cooking is a wonderful thing. So I said, aha, I wonder whether she would be interviewed for my podcast. Cut to the chase, she opened the season. Season one, first episode is with, I never met the lady, but she was amazing. And I just ran with it. And then sadly, George Floyd got killed in May. This was in April. And then by George Floyd being killed, the whole idea and importance and understanding of our own narratives and how we are influenced suddenly became so much more important. And therefore, it just kind of, yeah, surrender is a short answer. Yeah, yeah. 
just to kind of shift to talk about this upcoming keynote, and I, and I love the title, Being Dynamic in a Pandemic. Can you talk a little about that or, you know, some of the themes that you'll oh. be hitting on? Yeah, yeah. No, because... I think see, everyone can relate to, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean, precisely, because yeah. as you pro- probably already guessed, it's hard for everyone in different ways around the world. Until 2020 March, when people were going through struggles and challenges, which we always do because that's life, we might, I'm not saying we do categorically, we might have felt sorry for ourselves because it was our personal challenge, our personal issue, problem, uh, stress, whatever you like to call it. But for the first time, pretty much, I mean, I know that the odd pockets in the world, but pretty much the whole world is actually experiencing similar situations of whether it's lockdown, whether it's not meeting anybody, whether it's not being able to give a hug to somebody, um, you know, there are all kinds of different issues. And because for me, as I keep saying, it's about our cultural influences. When I say culture, I don't mean about ethnicity and country and religion or any of that. I'm talking about our personal life stories and how that influences us. I'm going to try and get the participants who are attending to start thinking about how their personal life stories have influenced them to manage their own emotional resilience pre-COVID, because there's obviously all of us have had stuff going on in our lives. So pre-COVID, how did you do it? So why is it any different during a pandemic? What has changed in our lives? And so what I would hope that I will address during this session are two key things about our unconscious biases and about our emotional resilience. And how, if we can come to terms with these two things, and I say come to terms, it's about acknowledging them. That's what I mean by come to terms. It's not about suddenly becoming emotionally resilient and and no longer biased. That's not going to work because that's not what life is about. But actually acknowledging it for ourselves. Then hopefully, when we say goodbye at the end of that one hour that I will spend with all of them, some of them, not all of them, will start reflecting and thinking, oh yeah, this makes sense. I wonder what I can do for me personally to try and be a bit more dynamic, a bit more resilient, a bit more in control of where I am and what I want to do. So in terms of resilience, I mean, do you predict that we'll, you know, as as professionals or in our personal lives that we'll be even more resilient after we, you know, sort of get through lockdown and the the world maybe looks a little bit... See, what you probably haven't noticed is the word idealism tattooed on my forehead. (laughs) I am Miss Idealist, okay? That's my middle name. I genuinely believe that the world is a good place. I genuinely believe that people are good people. And and in the same token, in answer to your question, I really do believe that if we can start, but it has to come from within us. Can we be more resilient? The short answer is yes. But we can also kind of lie in a corner and cry. So we've all been there. You know, every one of us have had opportunities, not opportunities, options of either lying in a corner and crying or getting up and brushing ourselves down I'm trying to learn or deal with X, whatever X might be, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. So if we need been able to do it once or twice or 10 times, depending on how old we are and what life experiences we've had, why should this one thing, where guess what, you and I are not alone in it, you've got another you know, a few billion people joining you in this story, why can't we take strength from that and teach ourselves to be more resilient? So yes, the, the, the hope is yes. I really do think 
that the world will be a better place when we look back on it, say, say 2023, 2024, around that time. Yeah, yeah. And you, know, you bring up, you know, because if our listeners don't know that you are a noted expert on unconscious bias and, you know, you, you know, before unconscious bias is really known within organizational circles, I mean, these were things that you were studying and researching and educating folks on. So I guess my question is in all this, you know, the work that you've been doing, like what is a common aha that people have or epiphany or, you know, I, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question because, yeah. I, because when I, when I see the aha moment to me, it's like, it's so fabulous that, you know, I'm, I'm going and not going and not anymore now as webinars, but even, even as recently as, as Monday, I was having this workshop around emotional resilience and unconscious bias. And then when people share their stories and start talking about things, that's when the aha moment goes, comes like that in their head. I'll, I'll share a couple of stories with you if, if you like. One was, uh, so I have to go back a little bit if you don't mind. So when we talk about, you know, offering workshops, not just a, a keynote, but if I'm spending say two and a half, three hours with them and we're really exploring and discussing and talking and so on. The one uh, metaphor that I use to help people understand and get to grips with what is unconscious bias is I use the word, the, our backpack. Now you can call it whatever you like, but what I say is imagine when you're born, you're born with a backpack on your back. And as you go through life, you chuck stuff into it. And it could be how you, you know, where you're born, how you're parented, all kinds of different life experiences. Certainly one thing we will chuck into our backpack instinctively, and it's our backpack, therefore it's unconscious, it's behind us. We don't know why that we're carrying it. That's the point I'm making. What we will do is if we have what we understand as difficult traumatic experiences, our natural instinct is not to have that repeated again. So guess what we do? We shove it into our backpack to keep us safe which is a good thing. But sometimes, because of that one trauma, what we might do is close the door on an entire country, race, religion, people, profession, whatever you like, based on whatever our story might be. And that's when you might need to, if you're brave enough, open your backpack, look inside and say, well, do I still really need that in there to keep me safe or can I challenge myself a little bit? But it's a brave thing to do. So, in relation to that, so I was talking about that in, in Unconnected, two different countries workshop. One, one was actually in the US, if I remember correctly. I can't remember now. No, it doesn't matter where it was. So during this workshop, I get participants to share stories about their own experiences of when they might have had a difficult time. A bit like my podcast, which, which you have heard, Peter, and then you know others might hear too. And one lady said to me that she, when she was growing up, she grew up in an extended family. In other words, parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, cousins, all under one roof. The family was extremely patriarchal, so much so that the women did not have a voice. They were really, metaphorically and otherwise, asked to just shut up. You know, they just, they weren't given much respect in terms of opinion, in terms of engaging or anything else. We talked about this backpack and she said, I've got it. She had our moment during the workshop. And she said to me, and she would be, I'm guessing her age, probably in her mid thirties. She said, I attend meetings, this is pre-COVID days. So you're in an office and you're at a meeting. And she said, I attend meetings. And I'm always, or very often, I have wanting some, you know, want to contribute, want to say something at the meeting, but I never do. I always keep quiet. 
And I realized that what I've chucked in my backpack is this idea of just zipping my mouth because what's the point? So many times I have been asked to not speak. So I have taught, it's been embedded in my DNA. Does that make sense? And another yeah. moment, which is, which is completely different. And I'm laughing because it's, uh, and both, of course, both these stories that I'm sharing, they would have opened their backpack, they'd have looked on it and they would have chucked it down the toilet or whatever you, you do with it, put it in the bin, flush it away, whatever you like, so that they would be addressing it. So this other one was this person, they were talking about their first romantic relationship. Now, I cannot for the life of me remember the ethnicity of the person that they were dating. But I, so I'm going to, for the context of the story, make it up. So let's imagine they were dating this Indian man or Indian woman. It's not about the gender. It's Indian person. And they were dating this Indian person. And then the Indian person broke their heart and dumped them. And uh, it was visceral. The pain that this person felt was visceral. They never forgot it. But their aha moment when they were sharing the story with me was, I've just realized something. And again, these people, this person would have been, I don't know, in his... 30s, late 30s, 40s, so I'm guessing dates and ages, but I'd say at least 15, 18 years earlier with this broken heart uh, situation. And they said to me that it's very interesting because when I'm recruiting, whenever someone who looks Indian comes into me recruited, I'm laughing now when I'm saying this, my unconscious bias kicks in and I'm not even aware of it. You know where yeah. I'm going with this. Yeah. So, so, so the point is, Unconscious bias can come from so many different ways, you see. And, and yeah, so they're, they're, they're two stories I've shared with you. All. Yeah, no, <laughs> there are hundreds in my head. And yeah. I just suddenly randomly thought of these two. But yeah. No, those are, those, those are great examples. You talked about resilience a little bit, but also, I guess, from like a, a leadership perspective, and I know you work with executives, but it seems like empathy is so critical right now or has been critical over the last several months. Is that something that, you've seen more of the, the leaders have gone out of their way to be more empathetic. Is that something that you know, you've seen? And, I, and, and to me, it just, you know, intuitively seems like it would be, you know, sort of a best practice or, or something where you may even want to overcompensate in certain respects, but. That's got nothing to do with the, with the pandemic or anything. Yeah. Or the fact that, that 2020, we had Black Lives Matter. We're talking mm -hmm. about divisiveness in, the, yeah. in, in Western society. I mean, actually the world over in many ways. If you look at different parts of the world, we won't talk politics, but uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on that really we start questioning. But in terms of workforce and leaders and the understanding and the, and the acceptance and the respect for something like empathy has been around now for a few years now, I'd say give or take 10 years, perhaps more. And I don't know if, Peter, you might know of this book called, very simply called Emotional Intelligence. Yeah. My gentleman yeah, called Daniel Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. he wrote that in 1998. Yeah. Uh, and in that book, he says there are four things that make us more emotionally resilient. But what's interesting is three of the four things is about me, myself, and I. And it's the fourth that will make me a better leader and a better manager and so on. And the fourth is the empathy. The first three are self-awareness, self-management, and self-motivation. Let me figure out what are my unconscious biases, my stories. This is how I understand what he's saying. And how do I get influenced? And then only can I show empathy. So the whole idea of leaders acknowledging and accepting and trying to be more empathetic is completely connected to our own 
need to be better managers and leaders rather than just being doing the task and doing the job well, whatever the job is, you know. It's about people management. And organizations are finding that because of, and it's always a top-down approach in terms of leadership. If the leader has not got an empathetic, positive attitude, it does actually affect the organization in terms of attrition, in terms of, uh, you know, depending on what the company is doing, uh, in terms of productivity, in terms of, you know, profit and all kinds of other things. And, and I'm talking about easily, I'd say easily 10 years. And I'm not just talking about the United Kingdom. I mean, different countries that I have spoken to and worked with. So it's, it's a good thing. It's a fantastic thing at about time, hallelujah. But I do believe that this idea of learning to be more empathetic or being more inclusive or understanding your employees has to come because you want to do it rather than because you're ticking a box. And sadly, there are some people who might choose to tick that box. They, it won't work because it has to come from within. Yeah. And do you think that the we, we've sort of pushed the needle a bit over the last several years where you see more and more leaders, uh, less being an exercise of checking the box and more of something where, you know, it's, it's an authentic kind of approach? I think pre, pre-2020, I think those people certainly reached out to me. I can talk of my experience. It was, it was for the right, mostly for the right, actually all of them, for the right reasons. And an authentic, we want to do this, we want to do the right thing. Since May of 20, May the 25th, when George Floyd was killed, people are so desperate to do the right thing because of the horror of what happened then. And then there's so much more that's happened since. That I fear that not everyone is doing it for the right reasons. So at one level, the pendulum is, has swung in the right direction. And I'm sorry I'm not saying your answering your question straight up because I, I do have concerns. Since 2020, I do have concerns about people wanting to do the right thing, not necessarily for the right reasons. One of the questions that is just about how divisive things are right now. And I guess maybe speaking to the, to the profession, you know, for IABC communications and just getting your perspective on what, you know, how we can reconcile some of these differences and, and, and how the, a communicator or a communications professional or just what are things that can be done or that should be at the forefront of folks' minds, you know, as that, we're, that's, we're that's trying to bridge? That's a great question because I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think it is about us actually leaving our own echo chambers, whatever that echo chamber might be, and having and really openly and honestly listening to dissenting views, having open, honest debates, broadening our horizon. I mean, for example, me, I'm still old fashioned enough to, to get a, a physical newspaper every day and I get to seven days a week. The paper that I read is The Guardian, which is a left-leaning paper. And obviously when I'm reading it, all it's doing is reinforcing what I know and what I want to believe if that makes sense. So it's that, yeah, I, I'm, I, what I'm doing is I'm ticking that box. So fortunately, I also have, I've signed up to the Times online. And so I read that 
in tandem. And every once in a while, I'll go out and I'll buy. And I'm sorry, I know I'm speaking to, to other countries, so maybe you all don't know which newspapers I mean. But let me put it this way. When we're reading, rather than just reading what you believe in or watching television, rather than only watching X News, CNN, maybe once in a while watch Fox. It might may not be suiting you. But let's see what people are saying out there and try and start understanding. But when we are listening or reading or communicating, it is far more about doing it for the right reasons, not saying, oh, for God's sake, those people on Fox News have no clue what they're talking about. I'm just making it up as I go along because I know what I'm talking about. That's what you're saying then, aren't you? And that's the point I'm saying I'm worried about. Because since the pendulum has swung, and I know it is in the right direction, there are a lot of people who are waving flags to desperately do the right thing. But I fear that there's not enough genuine open debate. So, and I agree with you. I think to some degree, we are in a fairly divisive society in many parts of the world. Uh, without quoting names of countries, Peter, you and I both know what we're thinking about in our heads. So we have to, we have to be cautious. We have to be careful. We have to be respectful. And we have to appreciate that everyone has an opinion because of their life stories. Let's listen. Let's genuinely listen with big dumbo ears, for a better word, and actually try and understand that. I don't know if I've answered your question, but this is, this is what I feel. Yeah. I think something that, you know, a lot of the people that are members of IABC, you know, one of the things that comes up is this idea of trusted communications. What does that mean? What does those two words mean to you? Yeah, I, I know man, I'm supposed to answer, but I'm asking you that question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's been so much misinformation that's out there. And in certain echo chambers, people are getting, they're being misinformed. So, you know, if there's perspective that you have on, you know, as for, for communications professionals or, you know, what would... No, but I mean, this is the whole point. What does trusted communication actually mean? In my opinion, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, trusted mm-hmm. communication is us sitting in our echo chamber. I trust the Guardian, but I think the X, or I trust CNN, but I think Fox News is absolutely lying. But, and people who watch Fox News will say, I trust Fox News, and yep. I think CNN is an absolute load of nonsense. So, what, so each of us have our own idea of what that means to us, mm-hmm. trust, the idea of trust communication. Therefore, we have to unpick that. And rather than even use the word trusted, authentic communication, open communication, honest communication, dissenting communication, debate, that's what we need to be doing. And and as a leader, what I would urge the leaders to do is to encourage that kind of conversation amongst their colleagues. You know, even if you've got like a, I don't know, one-hour meetings, just throw some ideas out there and see what happens. Let it popcorn, you know, like you, I don't know if any of you ever made popcorn in a pan and got the lid on, it goes, pop, 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 pop. Uh, yeah. It goes all quiet after that. Yeah. <laughs> let yeah. it just go, let it pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, those are great points. Um, well, I, I just have one more question for you. And uh, it's something, you know, we try to ask, you know, as part of the, the podcast series, but rather than what keeps you up at night, but like what, what gets you up in the morning? Like what, yeah. and, I, and I know you I said you're an idealist uh, right, on, right on, the, on your forehead. Idealist is on my forehead, but what really gets me up in the morning is my alarm. I like my sleep. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. 
<laughs> well, what about after the alarm when you've, you realize it's time to wake up? I'm always finding things to do because during pandemic, I think it's really important for us to, to be self-motivated and, and create different things that we do that we get pleasure out of. Whether it's, you know, some people actually do work because they have to pay the mortgage and they get their salary, but they find that really hard, and they, but they have to do it. So I think it really is about waking up in the morning and finding fun stuff that you might do maybe only at the end of your workday because you've got this boring job you've got to deal with. But maybe bake a cake or perhaps go for a walk or go for a run or listen to a podcast or something. But always have me time. And I think I do try and do that. I mean, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with my podcast, for example. So I often wake up thinking, oh, yeah, who should I post? Because I've got a kind of some already interviewed. So I'm thinking about who should I post and that kind of stuff. So, you know, and fortunately for me, the work that I do, both with the AI stuff uh, and the non-AI stuff, it's it's something that's very close to my heart. Yeah. So the work is fun. I love to cook. Uh, I did try when I was locked down in, in, in Delhi, when it was extremely fashionable, I did make a starter for sourdough bread. Uh, so many thousands, <laughs> millions of people did. I left the starter behind in the fridge. I have no idea if it's died to death or not. No, it's having, listen, what gets us up in the morning? I think rather than what, I would I would re-ask that question and say, how do we get up in the morning? The alarm wakes me up, but I work very hard, even if I'm sleepy, to try and be positive about the day that's ahead of me. I think we all need to do that because it is challenging for many of us a lot of the time. Yep, yep. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me and just so everyone knows, uh, Swinto will be the closing keynote at the Leadership Institute for IABC. And always a pleasure to speak with you. So, you know, thanks so much. Huge pleasure. Huge pleasure speaking with you, Peter. I'm sorry we're not in the same room chatting. Yes. <laughs> I think we're allowed to write like we usually do. Yeah. But still, even via Zoom, it's a huge pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Again, thanks to uh, Smita for speaking with me. It was a real pleasure. We will have other Podcatalyst episodes later this month. And thank you so much for your membership.